What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 185 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Beck, and I am your host of this said podcast. Um, it's been a it's been a week. Let's, let's put it that way. Um, but just as always, want to say a huge thank you to everyone that checked out last week's episode with Alex from Closet Witch. Got a lot of good response from that one, which is always lovely to hear. Like, I know there's so many podcasts out in the world nowadays, but honestly, any kind of interaction that I get on this show, it really does fill me with joy. So thank you for everyone that's kind of reached out and said nice words about about last week's episode. Um, This one is a week that I'm really sort of proud of. It was kind of sparked by an idea that a friend put in my head. I didn't think I'd be able to get this guest, but they were very very accommodating and yeah it's one hell of a chat but before we get there a couple of things that I want to kind of say off the bat um both kind of tinged with a bit of sadness unfortunately but I think they're they're merited in saying um firstly is the sad news of uh entombed singer LG Petrov passing uh losing his battle with cancer recently um, I'm not going to sit and pretend that I'm the biggest Entombed fan. Like, I've got a passing interest in them. I understand their point and... Uh, not their point, sorry. Their place and importance within metal. And, like, obviously if we didn't have Entombed, there'd be so many bands that we don't have nowadays. Like, in the past, Black Breath, Left Behind, the list can go on. So, yeah, Rest in Power LG, like, that... He's another one within the metal community that is sadly, sadly going to be missed. Um, in other, well, kind of world news, I guess, but I don't know if... I'm assuming this has reached further than the UK, but this is the news about um, the death of 33-year-old Sarah Everard. Now, this alone, just being a woman who disappeared and has subsequently been murdered, is tragic enough. The fact that it's a police officer who is currently under investigation uh, for it as well just speaks volumes. And seeing all the outpouring from friends, just people on the internet that have been affected by this is really kind of hit home. Like, and it was the importance of like the myself as a man and other men need to educate ourselves and do better for our female friends and people that um, identify as either female, trans, non-binary, like why they don't feel safe in places, and like whether that's out on the streets or whether that's in music, like it's something that we need to address as a wider issue. But then obviously the weekend things got even more tumultuous uh, and we saw police aggression towards women who were carrying out a peaceful vigil in Clapham Common. Now, this is just, like, flat-out disgusting, in my opinion. And the reaction from the Met Police is pathetic. I don't care, like, if you think those are are wrong, so that's my view. Um, Yeah, and I, I just think, like, it's sad that this has now become a political issue because... We saw it with the Black Lives Matter movement as well. Like this, this is a social issue. It's not a political issue, and people need to kind of not 
fall into the trap of this being a political agenda. They need to stand up for what they think is right. And I hope that people do and carry on airing their grievances. I hate to use the word protest because of the context of it. They shouldn't have to protest. Like People were wrongly calling what happened on Saturday protest. It wasn't a protest. It was a vigil. Um, and yeah, I just think like the attitude of, of people in authority has been disgusting towards this. So thoughts with everyone who's kind of going through it right now and just kind of wanting to say my piece and put that out into the world. Um, as always, before we get into to our guests, just want to do talk a little bit about current music. Uh, this week has been really jamming the, the album from good friends of the show, uh, Closer. Their new record came out on Friday. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just scrambling to find the name of it and I've completely forgotten. Sorry, guys, if you're listening, I've completely forgotten the name of your new record, but go check it out. It's definitely, if you're a fan of Touche Amore and La Dispute, this is definitely going to be in your lane. Um, another, another couple of records that came out this week, the new Pupil Slicer, mad math math core just nonsense coming here from the uk um we actually had kate on maybe two years ago now so if you want to find out a bit more about kate's story go check out that episode but um people's also a band that kind of close to my heart because they put us like my old band on in london and it was the first show i'd done in london and it was a really cool cool gig of the black heart so shout out to people slicer uh, new Slope record, band from Germany, like groovy, funky, hardcore, go check that out. But the one that's really hit home this week is the God's Hate album called God's Hate. It's just so fucking hard, like literally had that on repeat so much in the past couple of days. So shout out to Closed Casket Activities, shout out to God's Hate and yeah, be harder. I think if you've listened to that record, like you'll get what I'm on about. Um Right, let's get into this week's guest. And as I mentioned earlier, this is one that kind of came about fortuitously, but I'm so glad it happened. I reached out to them and they were, as I've mentioned, so accommodating. So this week I'm joined by a guitarist and vocalist of, I'd say it in the intro, so many of your favourite screamer bands, Lomo Prieta, formerly Bonavir, uh, L, Stormlight, Mr. Sean Leary. Uh, this was an absolute honour to have Sean on the show. Um, we talk about, obviously, him getting into music, as always, how somehow he always just manages to surround himself with just insane drummers. Um, the growth of Loma, how they obviously came to get to the attention of, of Deathwish and how, like, relentless touring kind of lent them to a bit of burnout, but where they where the situation they're in now, they're kind of in a, in a nice position what's the future hold for Loma and obviously all the various other projects that Sean is now involved in the excitement about Stormlight what Al has planned for the future there's yeah there's so much in this conversation so please sit back enjoy the chat I have with Sean and I'll see you on the other side Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast uh, is guitarist and vocalist of probably all of your favourite screamo bands, Sean Leary. Sean, thank you very much for taking some time to have a chat with me. How how are you? How's everything in your world? 
you know, everything considered, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's been, you know, it's been a strange year, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of like taking all this time at home as an opportunity to work on music a lot and stuff like that. Mm. So, yeah, how about yourself? Everything, uh, you hanging in there? Yeah, just as best as I can, I think. I think at the moment over here in the UK is very, like, obviously winter's not an ideal time to be stuck at home anyway, but it's just, yeah, it's obviously... I think many people that are involved in music and stuff are just sort of itching and scratching to to get out into the world again at the moment. And it just doesn't seem to be any sign of things kind of happening in that end over here, unfortunately. But there's yeah. not a whole lot we can do. I know, I know. It's kind of like just wait and see. And, you know, I mean, for me, yeah, it's really been like uh, I had so many shows booked and touring plans and everything when you know when mm. 2020 was starting and it all got kind of like shelved and in a way it was good because i'm like isn't what i'm supposed to be doing like writing music like i was i was at a point <laughs> yeah. where i was like when am i gonna finish all these things i started like when am i gonna like sit and play guitar you know so <laughs> yeah. i guess that's the one positive yeah and i think like kind of in a similar vein so like i've i've said this many times like at the tail end of 2019 beginning 2020 i went into like tour management full time oh wow so had like stuff booked up all the way like up to the summer of of 2020 and then yeah pandemic hit everything stops and yeah just (laughs) nothing's picked up since but yeah but just in terms of like obviously you say that kind of opportunity to sit down and, and kind of write and stuff obviously not having the opportunity to play gigs, but you still put out plenty of music last year. So was that kind of a weird situation to be in? Like you've got all this stuff that you're putting out, but you're not able to kind of share it in the normal sense in terms of touring and playing shows. Yeah. I mean, I think it was um, (laughs) on one hand, it almost made it easier because there was no uh, like logistical conversation about, okay, we need this record to coincide with a tour or, Mm. um, you know, like, yeah, it it actually kind of, I guess, because I became fully like unemployed for several months, I was like, all right, man, I'm going to finish these records. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to have all the time I need to, you know, make any revisions I need to make. And, um, it, you know, it's a mixed blessing, I guess, you know, it's like, I don't want to say that, you know, I don't want to say that it's a good thing that the world's in the state it's in, but it definitely kind of, at, at least with, you know, I've, I've been uh, working on this new band called Stormlight for four years or something. Mm. And I feel like we were just 95% done with this record. And then when the pandemic hit, that was kind of like, well, fuck, man, we have no excuse. Like, let's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like myself and, and Eric, the drummer of that band, were both like, we're really stuck at home and we're really unemployed. Like let's fucking, you know, stop dragging our feet and, um, you know, let's like make mix notes and make sure this thing gets mastered and out soon, you know? Mm. So, And I'm guessing like you've got the sort of capacity to sort of like be like writing, recording at, at home then. Is that the case? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't release a lot of stuff that I record, but I definitely feel like this year I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I like 
I finally like the way that things that I record sound, which is, you know, right, a okay. pretty empowering place to get, I guess. So yeah, it's been, it's been a cool year in that sense. Like I'm kind of like, shit, man, I can't wait until the world goes back to normal. Like I want to, like, I want to record the next Stormlight record. And like, I want to, I want to record my friend's bands, but unfortunately right now I can't even be in the same room as my friend's bands. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe someday but um that's cool yeah so it's good it's you know it's been just sort of this uh time where i've really been able to focus a lot on music particularly like from you know march till august or september i mean i really didn't have anything else distracting me mm, that's <laughs> cool. aside from my fears of you know that i was gonna die or something if i left the house. <laughs> yeah well if we go back to kind of the your kind of origin story, so to say, now I kind of like to get the ball rolling is to find out like what kind of got you into alternative music. So what was kind of like your stepping stone? What was your first exposure to alternative music? Um, it's sort of hard to put a finger on, I think, but I would say mostly like what got me into music was my family, even though, mm. uh, you know, my parents weren't musicians or anything. It was like, I have a, I have an older half brother who on my dad's side, who's 16 years older than me. Right. And so he kind of like, wasn't living with us when I was a kid, but he was always nearby and he was so into music. And like, he was in a band that mostly was like, you know, played covers and stuff. And he was just like a cool ass, like eighties rocker older brother. And so, okay. <laughs> so it was kind of like, um, when I look back at it, I mean, it's funny because you know, it was like, I was born in the early 80s. And um, that was kind of this time when like punk music and stuff like that was in pop culture. My mm. brother was definitely not like a punk, but he was just like a rocker that was like into everything and loved music and just wanted to like drive around in his like shitty sports car and like just blast music and like smoke joints. And so it was like when I was a little kid, for whatever reason, he thought that was appropriate to like <laughs> we'd just take these drives and he'd be like shawnee check this shit out dude and he'd like blast acdc or like i mean that was the one the first hard rock that i remember hearing and being like this is fucking tight and then like yeah. but then it was like he, you know he was into like x and he was into like the b52s and devo and rem and all this stuff that was sort of i think you know connected to punk music and so mm. I think it's just an interesting time to grow up because that stuff was sort of all around. And even though my parents didn't listen to it, I kind of had this avenue, you know, it was like by the time I was 10 or 11 and like Nirvana kind of came out, I was like ready for it, even though, yeah, like I remember my brother playing it and being like, uh, it was like, I wanted, I remember telling him I wanted to buy, you know, Nirvana, Nevermind. And he's like, Oh, that's pretty gnarly shit, dude. But, you know, <laughs> but he would like play it in the car and I was like so down with it. That's cool. So then like in terms of going off from there, like where did you kind of like start discovering music like off your own back? And were there any kind of particular bands that you were you were drawn to? Like you mentioned sort of like Nirvana, but like was there anything that on the kind of more heavier scope of things that you started dis discovering? Yeah, I think it was sort of like there's sort of a direct pathway with that, right? Like it was like. I got really into Nirvana when I was, uh, yeah, I want to say like preteen, you know what I mean? And mm. that was kind of my, 
that was kind of like my favorite band but i was also just into anything hard rock like at the time it was like metallica black album came out and i was like this is sick but then i started buying all the earlier metallica stuff and it was way more sick and i was sort of like challenged by that and then it's sort of funny it was like between like seventh and eighth grade so i was you know right around the time i turned 13 i think it was like um it's hard to sort of figure out the like what came first but i think a lot of it was that i was so into nirvana that i like read this book about them and like kurt cobain would just talk about all these like you know crazy hardcore bands and shit that he was Mm. into so it was like he was talking about flipper and black flag and um like i'm trying to remember what else it was i mean those were two really big bands for me and thinking about being 13 and listening to flipper which is like the most fucking deranged sounding shit (laughs) and then getting into like it was funny because it was like kind of immediately got into like sonic youth but it was like the first one that i ever had was confusion is sex you know like they're really early stuff it's just totally damaged and like to me i was young enough to where that became the bar it was almost like that was like pop music to me you know what i mean i was just Mm. like this is cool like this is oh this is what cool music sounds like and so I think it totally <laughs> fucked with my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> because, because by the time I got into um, like actual, like, you know, local punk music, which wasn't much later, really, it was like when I was 13 or something, I started going to local shows where I lived in, in like the North Bay area. Mm. Um, I was like ready for, to hear stuff that was just totally deranged and had like no melody whatsoever. Mm. but but i also loved you know i loved it all it was like once i got into punk um i loved like you know pop punk at least for the first like year or something that i was into punk rock and then it sort of i think the the sort of shift happened when i got like i remember buying like a born against record right and it being so like non-musical but knowing I was like drawn to it, but also just being like, this sounds disgusting. You know, like I was, it was like, <laughs> I knew that I had to like, it was basically like I dubbed that record onto a tape and just like walked around listening to it on my Walkman for like a week. And then I was, you know, by the end of that week, I was like, how'd they make this? You know what I mean? I was like, this is mm. so fucked up sounding. Like, I think I just really, you know, at the same time was like learning how to play in bands. And I just, whatever, I couldn't figure out how people were doing it was sort of what I was mostly um, like fascinated by. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's sort of interesting to like, like I think if I wasn't playing um, playing in bands and like trying to learn how to play, I think it probably wouldn't have, you know, it sort of like led me into this sort of other like challenging um, sort of like facet of punk rock, I think. Mm. I, th- I think like, in terms of that we'll get into kind of like how you got into guitar and stuff in a moment but like in terms of that i think that you can kind of make that correlation to obviously stuff you're doing now in that kind of trying like they're trying to figure out the nuances of what's going on rather than you playing i don't know just like a straight riff or something like that so was that something that you were always kind of drawn to like the more kind of like not necessarily technical but like interesting side of punk rather than it just being like a dun 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 sort of like chugging kind of sound yeah i think i think pretty immediately like there was this early stage where i started going to local shows and just like anything that was punk was just fascinating and like Mm. i love you know i just like i just 
I go to like a five band show and I get there early and I watch every second of every band and talk to every band and was just like all about it. And then pretty quickly it, yeah, it's sort of like my tastes like refined and I mean, I think I just got super like pretentious too, which is part of, which is part of what draws kids into that shit. And like, I, uh, I think I'm still there. You know what I mean? It's funny. Cause I'm like, it's, you know, 25 years later and I'm still sort of like, I think, you know, I don't know, man, I'm snooty. Like I like, I like music that seems challenging and like, uh, seems to really have an objective and, um, I like bands that are, you know, doing things that I don't feel like I've heard before. Yeah. So, so as far as punk music goes, like that's sort of, I, I think another sort of like aspect to it also um, was just like when I was that age and I was really starting to like seek music that I felt was really unique and kind of, uh, you know, the, the motive was really like to make art that was interesting. Like punk mm. music felt like it was going furthest in that direction or that was what, for whatever reason, I decided when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16, that like, that was where progressive, interesting music was being made. Mm. And I don't know that that's the case. And I definitely feel sometimes right now, like, I'm like, man, I don't know if that's the objective for most, like, in the punk scene anymore. But I do think that's kind of what drew me in. Yeah. And just in terms of, because, like, my knowledge of kind of American scenes are kind of very limited in terms of, I know bands are from certain areas, but that's kind of it. I don't know what their scenes exist like, but you said kind of discovering those, those early shows and like going to a five band bill and checking out every single second of it. Was there quite a thriving scene in the Bay area when you were growing up or did you kind of have like limited shows? So they were the ones you were going to. Um, It was, it's funny. I grew up in a place that is, you know, maybe 60 miles North of San Francisco and um and so it was like we had like our own little scene in the north bay that uh that was i think really i mean i just caught it right at that time when it was thriving but it was interesting because not a lot of bands really sort of made it out of the north bay and right when i started playing in bands that were trying to make it out of the north bay there was definitely an attitude if you went to the city or you went to oakland or berkeley to play shows like uh it was funny. It was like, you'd rent, like I'd, you know, we'd be touring somewhere else on the West coast. This is when I was, you know, 18 or something. And you'd like run into a band from Berkeley on tour and be like, Oh yeah, we're from the Bay area too. And they'd be like, you know, where? And we say on oh, North Bay. And they'd be like, that's not the Bay area. Like it was where we grew <laughs> up was considered like, a, you know, like a hick, like farm town, you know? Right. Okay. But, but we did super fortunately, we had a really cool scene and it seemed like everything was kind of represented. And so it's funny because only later did I realize that like these bands that I loved when I was like 14 or 15 were just sort of like facsimiles of bigger bands who I hadn't heard because there wasn't the internet or anything yet. And so I was Mm. like, we had like our, you know, proto like emo screamy band and we had our like ultra, you know, hardcore like street punk band. And we had, you know, our band that sounded like a veil and we had all these bands, (laughs) but I didn't realize I was just young and like, didn't, have any way of knowing um anything like it was just all new to me and it Mm. it was cool though because everyone it was a small enough scene to where it was like everyone between the ages of like 13 and 30 who were like into punk kind of had to all be in the same place and there were only like 
75 of us or something you know what i mean that's cool yeah and then in terms of you like actually sort of learning to to play an instrument and sort of picking up the guitar so was guitar always something that you wanted to to play or did you kind of start with with different instruments and then evolve onto guitar where did that all kind of come into things well i think um when I was a really little kid, I wanted to play guitar because my older brother did. And right. um, I had a guitar from the time I was really little. Like my parents had this uh, super like whacked out friend who I told that I wanted to play guitar when I was probably like, dude, I couldn't have been older than four. And I remember, <laughs> okay. and this dude was like a nutcase. He was like my parents' buddy from, you know, 70s North Bay, like, he was like a restaurateur, but shortly after this, he ended up getting busted for like dealing coke on the side and going to prison. Oh, shit. He was like, he had these big fucking terrifying dogs he brought with him everywhere. Um, so anyway, this dude, um, I told him I wanted a guitar and he like just showed up at the house with, with this like busted, um, like silver tone acoustic guitar, which I had. Mm. And I fucked around with for, you know, my whole childhood. I was like, just making noise on this thing and then it was kind of like not until i was 10 or 11 i started kind of knowing a couple riffs but i think it all sort of changed when i was like in junior high i decided i wanted to play drums so i like okay saved up a bunch of money and like sold my bmx bike and like it was like i was just like selling shit man i was like having a garage sale out in front of my house every weekend and i got enough money to buy this crappy drum set and um kind of learned to play for like you know probably three or four months mm. and then i sort of befriended these kids through just through school and um one of them was like a year older than us and he was like fucking cool because he'd already like played a show and he right. had it he had like a flying v guitar and stuff he was just like nice. the man and so we all went to go like jam at his house because his parents would let us be loud there and I ended up like leaving my drum set at his house um, just so we could, you know, for easy setup, it was like, there was no way yeah, I was yeah, going to yeah. carry it home. And within like two or three weeks, he was just so much better than me at drums. And it was like, <laughs> it was like such, like on one hand, I was like, yo man, like show me how you're doing that. But I was also so bummed. I just remember being like, fuck dude, like, God, I've been trying for half a year and this guy's just like naturally good. <laughs> and so it was funny because then I was like, well, I know a couple of chords on guitar. And so I started like playing his guitar and then we just like switched roles basically. And, <laughs> That's cool. and, and that dude, uh, Devin Rumrill is still like my best friend. And like, we, you know, still work on music together and it's been like almost 30 years since then. It's crazy. That's insane. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And he's still a fucking phenomenal. He's still better than me at every instrument. And it's really frustrating. <laughs> and just uh, on a side note, just because I think it's quite interesting that you seem to sort like I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you seem to surround yourself with incredible drummers. So like, I don't know, do you just have a knack for finding them? I, it's probably luck. Yeah. But I also kind of like, <laughs> yeah. I realized early on, like, uh, you know, kind of when I was getting into, I think basically the, you know, the type of music that I still play, um, I just remember listening to like, there were all these like gravity records bands like Antioch Arrow and like Click Attack mm. and Katawi and uh, Mohinder and all this stuff. I think all those bands sound fairly similar. 
And the sort of through line I started realizing was like, they all have like phenomenal drummers. And I was yeah. like, I was kind of like, fuck man, I don't think I can get good enough at drums to play this kind of music, but this kind of music doesn't work with like, a, this is not songwriter music. This is like, these bands have a sound and a lot of it is just the physicality of the drumming. And so it is funny mm. where it was like, my buddy Devin, who I was talking about, like, could totally emulate that or anything else. And is just a, like a, a super powerful drummer, totally self-taught, but just like hits fucking hard and, um, you know, gets it. And so he and I played in bands for a long time and I was really lucky with that. And I think it was the kind of thing where it was like, you know, I was just playing a lot of shows and every time there was a drummer that was like really good, I'd talk to them and then I had to try <laughs> yeah. and start a band with them. And that's how like Loma Prieta started. Like, you know, my, my old band Archaeopteryx played with Val's band Sailboats and, you know, I befriended Val and was sort of like, hey man, you, uh, what are you, what are you doing with music right now? You know, like I was like, this, <laughs> this dude's so fucking good at drums. Like, I don't really even know him. Seems like a cool dude. Like, let's see what happens if I, you know, it was kind of like, it's kind of been that way. Like I've just been lucky, but I've also kind of just been playing tons of shows and like, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I just always want to be working on music. So it's like, if someone's talented and I get along with them, I'm like, Hey man, I'm in too many bands already, but do you want to try and work on some shit? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Well, yeah, just to, to kind of backtrack. So like, obviously you said they're kind of obviously switching up and after trying at the drums and going back to guitar, but in terms of like, like vocals again, like obviously you've done that in, in various bands and still obviously do it to this day. Mm-hmm. So was, was vocals something that you wanted to try your hand at or was that kind of something that when you started bands kind of came through necessity and have, have since kind of like practiced and honed it and, and kind of evolved that way? Um, you know, I think when I was starting out, it was something that I wanted to do and that I was really striving to, I was really, I mean, I think when I was a teenager, I was really striving to get better at like singing. And, and even though I was really into hardcore, I feel like my, you know, my taste in music has always been pretty diverse. And so it was kind of like, uh, yeah, it was like, I was listening to and writing music that I think was more like had super heavy moments and had like these post hardcore moments, but I also kind of grew up on like sunny day real estate and, you know, sonic youth and stuff like that, that had melodic vocals. And I was like trying to get, I think I was writing songs that needed vocals like that. I don't think I ever Mm. got that good, but (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've always liked writing lyrics and um, I think, you know, being in a band was just such a huge part of my like identity. I think up until I was like in yeah. my mid twenties or something that, yeah, like singing came really natural. But the funny thing with it is like all of the bands I sing in now, I tried so hard not to be the singer in just because it fucking, <laughs> okay. because I just want to like focus on playing guitar and like screaming really hard just hurts. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's kind of funny. Like in Loma Prieta, I you know, when we started the band, it was like, I specifically recruited my friend Davey to come sing because they, everyone in the band was like, you should sing, dude. Like, I love, I love your voice. You should, uh, you should sing in this. And I was sort of like, oh, it's just going to sound like my other band. Like, I just want to focus on playing more complex guitar stuff and be able to challenge myself. So we got Davey to come sing. 
And then it was like, after a couple of years, he quit the band and we were in the middle mm. of writing our first LP, Lost City. And it was like, well, Sean, looks like you got to sing. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, dude, fine. I'll fucking sing, you know? Um, and, and of course, like, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that happened because I love, I love singing in Loma Prieta. It's, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's fun live, mm. but, you know? It is, it's fucking painful though. It gives me a headache every time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, obviously I haven't done near the extent of touring that you have, but the f- few times I've done it when I've done shows in a row, like, so I used to be in like a kind of sort of math core sort of grindy kind of band. And I was the same, like the first like few shows I'd come off and my head would just be pounding. <laughs> yeah, screaming yeah. So much. yeah. It's kind of crazy how it's like, um, it's funny because your body totally adapts to it, but yeah, it, you know, I've done it enough tour. I know there's this arc where it's like always five days into tour. I have like no voice left and I'm wondering like how I'm going to pull this off. And then your mm. body sort of steps in and like recovers. And I think you learn to pull back a little bit and like by like eight days in you're back and your voice is like 80% as it was as good as it was at the beginning of tour. But like you could go forever. And it stops yeah, yeah, giving yeah. you a headache and, you know, I don't know. I mean, one of these days I'm just going to like go to yell and there's nothing's going to come out. I like, I know it because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, I've just done this thousands of times. Like it can't be good for you. So then in terms of you, like, as you say, kind of starting to to dabble playing music and, and so on and so forth. So let's kind of take your, your, not necessarily maybe your first band, but like the, the first band of note that you consider kind of worthy sort of thing. So first of all, what kind of style of music was, was that? And kind of like, did you do anything of note? Like, what was that all like? Um, I mean, the first band that I was in that really left, uh, you know, that really like left my hometown was, um, was this band called Archaeopteryx. And it was uh, mm. like a crazy noise core art music punk band, I guess. I don't really know how to describe it. Um, And basically it was like, you know, me and my best buddy, Devin, were playing in, you know, kind of various, what I would consider to be like our like high school bands. And they were pretty good for us being like little kids. And when we were like 17 or 18, we moved to Philadelphia, like to to the other side of the US from, you know, from this small town that we were from, just basically to like get out of our small hometown. It was like, this opportunity came up for us to rent like an entire like three bedroom house for like oh, wow. nothing because, you know, because basically we were moving to like a rough neighborhood in Philadelphia and we had no right. fucking idea what we were getting into. And so we moved out there and it was like, we just had this big house with a basement and we started making this totally fucked up noise music. And, um, and that band became, you know, kind of like what, we were both really focused on for like five or six years. And so it was like, mm. we ended up moving back to the West coast and we toured the West coast, at least like a lot. And I felt like we were kind of getting somewhere, but it was just such weird music. Like, and the only scene that sort of like started to gravitate towards us was all of the like post hardcore and like screamo stuff, even though I think we right. were really on the fringes of that, but it was kind of like, you know, we played with like the Blood Brothers and we played with um, like XBXRX and Erasirata and bands like that. Mm. Um, 
but then also it was like uh sailboats who was like a local you know like screamo band like fully really was like a screamo band like i don't think we were but they kind of gravitated towards us sort of later on when we were four or five years into the band and those guys were super ambitious about booking shows. And so that's how I ended up meeting the guys that, you know, I later started Loma Prieta with because they were one of the right. friends kind of like in sort of in the same world, even though I think that it's funny, it's like, you know, Devin and I are like five years older than those guys. And so for us, it was kind of like, I don't think we ever would have even used the word screamo. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, I think yeah. there was sort of this um, negative connotation to that term. And I always felt like it was sort of like, when I first started hearing people say that, it was always like broy dudes at hardcore shows trying to like diss a band. <laughs> so I was yeah, like, yeah. but then it was funny because I met those dudes and they just like identified as that. They were like, yeah, we're a screamo band from Oakland. And I was like, whoa, you can just, you can just say that? Like you can just be a, <laughs> be a screamo band, like admit it? Shit, dude, that's sick. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, uh, you know kind of trying to find a place where you fit when you're in a band that sounds weird intentionally yeah yeah so we, i guess in like throughout that the kind of history of that band were you sort of playing just sort of like random like mixed bills and, and stuff like that rather than kind of finding a, a niche and a home sort of thing yeah it was a trip it was kind of like also the I mean, when we started touring, which at the time was like all I wanted to do was, you know, kind mm. of right around 2000, probably like 99, we started and we probably started touring the West Coast when, yeah, in like 2000, something like that. And it was like, I was still booking stuff straight up by like sending physical demo tapes and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Like there were there was sort of like the beginnings of being able to book a tour using the internet, but it was sort of like 50, 50. And it was definitely yeah. like, you know, like you'd have to print out like a binder of directions for the whole tour ahead of time because definitely didn't have like a phone <laughs> yeah. and neither of us had cell phones. So it was like, you know, you'd get into town and like call someone on the, find a payphone. It was just like a weird time to tour. And definitely I did not, you know, I didn't feel like we were finding a scene, but we ended up meeting some really cool bands mm. know, along the way. Like at the time, I think Portland had like a really amazing, um, like weirdo punk scene. And so did San Diego. And we just, we would like tour the West coast all the time. Mm. So we did, we did kind of end up, you know, I would say we kind of had a scene, but it was funny because we'd like play with straight up, like, indie adjacent bands like in the pacific northwest a lot you know it was funny like we knew bands that were all in with like death cab when they were first coming up and like oh, okay cool that kind of stuff and then like yeah it was just it was like a very diverse thing it was more about it was just all these bands that were sort of focused on art but you know there definitely wasn't a cohesive like sound when we were playing bills and that kind of came mm. later i think like with Lama yeah. and stuff. so then like Something I always ask because I find it interesting what first like people's kind of f first perceptions of tour is like and whether you like when you first kind of went out, cause as you say, like at the time it was something that you like wanted to do sort of constantly. So like that, I guess when like those very first tours or early tours, were they kind of like did they meet what you were expecting a tour to be like were they way better were they way worse what was that kind of your first experiences on the road like 
I, it's funny when I look back at it, there was something going on with me at that age where it was like, I was so steeped in the sort of like notion of, uh, you know, like DIY punk being so superior to everything else. And like, right. Um, that like the fact that everything was totally grueling and that we were playing really tiny shows to sometimes unappreciative audiences, like felt like a victory or so it's so it's funny it's like this total like martyr thing <laughs> where i'm like looking back at it i remember being like like kind of like in my own mind i was like dude i love fucking loading gear like i love <laughs> like every aspect of this like this is what i want to be doing like this is you know this is the higher calling or some stupid shit and <laughs> yeah. um and it's like i still have sort of like tinges of those feelings like when you're playing a small show and it's super community feeling and, and like mm. people are psyched, you know, like you get a certain feeling, but um, yeah, definitely. I think when I was like 18 or 19, I just like lived for it. Like it was all just touring in any capacity was all I wanted to do, particularly yeah. like I never toured aside from like playing in the band that was touring. I don't think I ever had any, you know, it was like I had friends who had designs on like touring as a lifestyle and became more like in the industry, you know, where like yeah. going out touring, doing merch for other people's bands and stuff like that. And that was never really my goal. But yeah, dude, I loved it. <laughs> and can was there like any sort of shows that you can kind of particularly remember where like it was that kind of moment where it clicked? It was like, yeah, this is this is for me. This is what I like. This is what I really want to do sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it was that way, like immediately. I think even, I think I built it up so much in my own head that like, you know, I remember the first, you know, like tour that I ever did, it was, you know, Archaeopteryx playing. We were from, you know, like the North Bay area, I think this is before I moved to San Francisco. And we straight up drove to Seattle to start the tour, which is like, oh, fucking hell. dude, I think it was maybe like we drove straight up like 15 or 16 hours and then got out of the car and played. Jeez. <laughs> and, and then I think the next show was like, not even in Portland. I think we just played Seattle and uh, like Eugene or some somewhere that, dude, we straight up, we played like a bar and there were no other bands on the bill. Someone had set up this show for me off, you know, like book your own fucking life or something. And yeah, like, yeah. it was, they basically we showed up and it was just like this totally like hick bar and they were playing the Simpsons and they had to turn the Simpsons <laughs> off so we could play and everyone hated us so much. And then we got in the car and just drove home, you know, like, I don't know, nine or 10 hours or something like over. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, dude, that was the most fun I've ever had. Like, let's book another one. This is great. You know? That's cool. So then in terms of like timeline wise, like, please stop me if I've kind of got this wrong or like I'm jumping all over the shop, but like in terms of getting from Archaeopteryx to, to Loma was Bonavir, was that kind of before or was that kind of working in tandem with Loma? I, I couldn't find my, my timeline. Okay. Yeah. No, Bonavir came along after Loma had been a band already for right, five okay. or six years. Like, um, and I'd like met those guys at least I'd met Trey and John both separately through bands that um, I actually met John at an Archaeopteryx show kind of towards the 
end of Archaeopteryx playing shows, probably 2005, which was really when Lomo was also starting. There's always sort of these like overlap things where it's like, yeah, yeah. I've always been in like multiple bands at a time. But but basically, Bonavir, you know, I joined that band at the beginning of 2010, I think. Okay. And they'd played like one or two shows, one of which I was at. And um, basically, they'd had a second guitar player when they started and she left. And so they played like one show with Jasmine playing guitar, I think. I saw their second show. I like specifically went to go see this house show that they were playing because I just really wanted to see what Trey was doing because he'd been in this, you know, I wrote haikus band before that that, mm. that were yeah. really fucking cool. And that, uh, you know, I considered homies of mine and like, you know, they were one of the few bands that Loma kind of felt sort of kindred with in the Bay at the time. And, mm. um, I just always wanted to see what Trey was doing. And so, you know, I went and saw, uh, beer and I was like, God damn, this is, this band's sick. And then <laughs> became friends like immediately with Chris, the drummer who I hadn't met. He'd, you know, he'd only been living in the Bay a short time at that point. And, um, you know, like a week or two later, they asked if I wanted to come and like try out for the band. And I was like, well, yeah, I think, you know, I was kind of like, I don't really have time, but yeah. <laughs> like, I think I got to try this out. And it, you know, it kind of clicked. And we, it's funny because, you know, that band really was only super active for probably three years, but we did mm. so much in three years. And then when I think about it, I'm like, I don't know how it was possible, like on my end, because I was doing so much with Loma Prieta at the time too. Yeah. I can't kind of piece together like, how there was time for it all to happen. But I do think that the other three guys also were like keeping crazy momentum, even when I'd be gone for like six or eight weeks with Loma. Mm. So then in terms with, with Loma, I don't want to kind of get into the whole, like how did the band start and stuff, because people can find that information if they want to find it. But like when you guys kind of like started, as you say, kind of going from Archaeopteryx, which was kind of like a bit of a more, like noise rocky sort of as you say kind of a, this like weird amalgamation of, of sounds mm -hmm. to to loma that even in its early stages kind of has an identifiable screamo sound right was that the was that the sound that you guys always kind of wanted to have with loma or did that kind of evolve as you guys became a bit more comfortable with each other i think um I don't know if there was like a huge amount of like intentionality about the band early on. Although, you know, it's funny. It was like, for me, Loma Prieta was definitely like my side project from, from being in Archaeopteryx at the time. Right. And, okay. and I had my, you know, Archaeopteryx was like my focus. And, and um, I remember starting Loma and just kind of being like, I want to play music with Val because he's a great drummer. He's a cool dude. And I was talking to him a lot because he was starting a record label and his first release was going to be this Archaeopteryx record. Okay, so cool. That was kind of like how we sort of like, you know, began hanging out. And, and, you know, then it was like, I talked to Val about playing. He was like, Oh, well, Derek from sailboats, um, you know, sailboats kind of like disbanded and Derek was talking about selling all of his gear. He's fucking like done with music, but maybe I can get him to come and, you know, be the third person. <laughs> and I was like, dude, don't let Derek quit playing music. Like, what? yeah, tell him to come play. Like, let's see what happens. Um, then we got Davey to come in and like my conception of what we were going to do was like, 
Archaeopteryx was a duo that was just drums and guitar and it was super mm. shrill. And I was like, Loma Prieta is just going to be the same thing, but it's going to be three guitars and drums and it's going to be super shrill. I like wanted it to be really not musical and like right, okay. really staticky and fucked up. And so I just don't think I knew what, you know, I, like by the time we had like a group of songs, it didn't really sound like what I'd been setting out to do, but I was like, yeah, this is good. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. whatever happens, happens. Like, this is cool. But I didn't feel as connected to it. I feel like it took me like a year or two before I felt like we really, before it was like totally like gelling but mm. it's funny like that because I, you know, I think that now, but I'm sure at the time I felt like everything was good. It was just like, at some point it kind of got more serious for all of us and like Davey left. And then it really just became me, Derek and Val. And I felt like we all um, had really complimentary styles and we're all really like trying to advance technically at that point in all of our lives. And so I think yeah. that was sort of like, the band really clicked, I think, when we started working on our first LP, mm. like a couple of years in. Yeah, well, because that's what I was gonna say. So I obviously, like, I came across Loma through Last City, and have been a fan sort of since. And I think, like, this is no disrespect because I, I could be completely wrong on this aspect with Archaeopteryx, but obviously Loma started to get a an audience sort of further than than the states and mm. getting a bit more of a momentum worldwide sort of thing so was there a point where you noticed like we'll get onto the, like the death wish stuff in a moment but specifically like around like the like last city lp did you start to notice like people outside of your friendship group and wider afield paying attention to loma um not really i mean <laughs> no no I don't think I did you know it was kind of like we yeah we kind of had like our core friend group and uh we were doing a lot like in Oakland like throughout and mm. I think touring you know back then it was always really hit and miss like we did a U.S. tour in I want to say 2006 when we were a pretty new band and it was like dude it was rough like it was not there were some bad shows like particularly you know there'd be like four or five days in a row where you were just like man good thing i like you guys because there's no one else around you know we're just playing these shows to nobody <laughs> yeah. and then and then there'd be something like you know we got to austin texas played a fucking crazy good show but it was the payoff for like everything between california and there you know what i mean so it was like mm. um last city came out and we you know, because React with Protest was involved in putting it out, we basically went and toured Europe, you know, as a pretty unknown band. And the reception there was definitely, it was the same as touring the US kind of like we'd play like three or four shows in a row in like small cities where clearly people were only there because, you know, they heard there was a punk show happening or something. Yeah. But then we'd play, there were like certain cities where I was like, oh, I feel like we're a totally different band. Like we played in Paris and there were like people that were there to see us and the other bands who were really good were excited to play with us. And it felt like, um, yeah, it was funny. I was like, this is so weird to play, you know, like the best show we've ever played, like on the other side of the world right now. Mm. But um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think it really did. I think it was a really slow build for us. Like we are never the band that, uh, had any like real immediate payoff and i don't think that we've you know 
I definitely didn't feel like when Last City or Dark Mountain came out that there was very much hype around it or anything. Like I just felt yeah, like we yeah. were really enjoying making the music and like I think we all like kind of we're just having fun with like the suffering of being on tour or whatever it is like, <laughs> yeah. like we all just like it, we're getting into that it was cool just to be able to like travel the world and you know try and break even yeah that's cool so was that like your first experience touring in, in europe as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah so that, you... that last city tour i think was i want to say it was 2007 or 8 maybe mm. yeah and that was that was my first time going it was funny man i kind of by the time i got to like my mid-20s i was like i don't think i'm ever gonna be able to go to europe like i don't see affording it you know like yeah (laughs) i was like that sounds expensive i don't know how that's ever gonna happen i want it to and so that was like my first time going to europe and it ended up being the kind of thing where i was like wow i you know didn't really even have to pay that much money to go to europe like this is crazy (laughs) you know like we got to travel around for three or four weeks. And, um, and then it became kind of like that, uh, that kind of took the place of the feeling I'd have when I was younger, where like, it was like when I was 18, all I wanted to do was tour, no matter what it meant, you know, how uncomfortable it was, like how few people were there, how thankless it felt. And then it Mm. was like, Oh, I want to travel the world playing music, but I don't have any standards for like what the shows are like. Like we, straight up we're playing like squats that just had dog shit everywhere inside the squat and there was just crust punks there who like were like basically talking shit to us and i was like this is fucking sick man like i can do this every day (laughs) so in terms of that though like did you kind of i guess the the whole sort of like playing squats thing is a good example but was there much of like a culture shock for you when you sort of started coming over to to europe and stuff or because like I think sort of nowadays like there is a, a lot more of a, th- a thriving scene for sort of like the crust punk screamo sort of world. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm guessing in those early days it might not have been as much. So what was it quite difficult in that first tour? Um, you know I think it was just like uh, we were just an unknown band and we were touring alone mm. and. I also just think like, and this is sort of a separate conversation and it doesn't necessarily have to do with Europe or anything, but like, I think that when we were coming up with sort of a real, um, like a real lull in the type of music that we play or get like categorized yeah. as. Yeah. So it was like, I think in 2001, a band that sounded like Loma Prieta probably would have been doing really well in Europe or a band, you know, that was considered post-hardcore or something like that. I think in 2007, when we first toured Europe, like there was just not that, that was not like what audiences seemed super like, like they were looking for like anywhere, as far as I could tell. And, Mm. and, and I say that as someone that likes that kind of music and at the time kind of being like, God, man, there, there aren't that many bands playing this kind of music. The few that are out there are like really, really good. And I don't think anyone's listening to them. Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't feel like we were at the top of the heap or anything, but I was kind of like, at the time, I was like, man, Dytro is so fucking good. And like, everyone I know in the punk scene is like, not even interested in this. At least, (laughs) you know, where we were in Oakland, it was like, people were way more into just like, people were just getting really into power violence, I think. And like, um, 
yeah i think anything that had any sort of like emo connotations was just out <laughs> yeah yeah but i was like dude i that's you know that's what i like and i'm trying to think like i can't remember the year now but so the first time that i had the opportunity to see you guys live mm-hmm. was when you toured with it was you birds and row and punch oh cool and yeah um yeah i can't remember for the life of me the year now but probably 2011 or 10 or something yeah it sounds about right but i remember like the reason that i bring this up is because one i wanted to mention val but two because it was also the first time i saw birds and row and i can't remember who their basis was at the time it's not who they have now yeah yeah detail. but but they um like just mid set like leant over behind their their base cab and just chundered everywhere. <laughs> I remember this show. It was in uh, uh Brighton or something, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 dude. I remember that specifically because I was just like because they played so hard that night. Like I, you know, I don't know what like came over them, but I just remember watching that and kind of being like god like who can even compete with this band like (laughs) jesus christ um yeah birds in a row fucking great band but is it like that was the thing like that show the reason i bring it up because it was like three bands that just played so intense and so kind of like heart on the sleeve sort of thing that it is one of those shows that still to this day that i look back on incredibly fondly and i think like at that kind of period of time obviously you guys were like touring constantly and kind of building up this kind of network so like and i think because like punch had a bit of momentum to him as well so yeah. did you kind of find a bit of rub from that like i know obviously like val was in both bands as well right so did you find that there was a crossover because you were touring with punch that people were getting into loma i you know i couldn't i really couldn't tell you like what um whether it had any real effect but there was definitely like by that point i think that by the time that val joined punch which was probably end of 2009 i want to say it was like around Mm. the time that we put out lifeless and i feel like that was also like when all this stuff started to gel for loma and then like punch had a pretty different experience from us because i think they were playing like a style of music that you know, I don't think there was any, I don't think that they were playing that type of music because it was like cool right then. But I think that kind of stuff happened to get really hype right when they were coming up. So it was like interesting because I remember Val joining Punch and then Brian who had, you know, Brian who plays in Loma now, he was, he joined the band basically after Last City came out. So he'd been Mm. in Loma for two years. It was like First Val joined Punch and then like six months later, Brian joined and they did like a US tour and came back and they were like, dude, that was crazy. Like people actually came to see us. Like, you know, uh, there's something going on here. And I was like, well, fuck man, must be nice. You know, (laughs) that's still, that was kind of like not even happening for Loma yet at that point, I don't think, you know, like we were, I think it was kind of like, at the same time both punch and loma started to like hit but Mm. we'd been around for you know at least a couple years longer but it's just a totally different world and so it was funny because yeah we would tour together because we were all friends and because we shared members yeah did a couple tours together and uh like we did that one little uk tour which was probably only six shows or something birds and row and and loma did like mainland europe for probably 
you know, close to a month, I would think. Mm. And then we did this crazy tour with Punch, I think directly afterward where we, it was meant just to be a Canada tour because like no okay. one goes to a lot of Canada. And so we did this tour where we like pretty much bombed straight up the West coast and like got to Vancouver. And then it was just like five days of dude. Some of the drives were so long that we'd have to take a day off just to like, we'd drive for two straight days basically. And then Go like get to the show and play it. And the van was so packed and it was so fucking, yeah, that shit was rough. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think it, you know, when I think about it, it was probably mutually beneficial for Punch and Loma Prieta to tour together at the time, because I think that we were both kind of pulling people from different worlds, but at least some of those people would be interested in the other band. Mm, yeah. And just logistically, it made sense because there was less seats getting taken up in the bands and we shared two members <laughs> yeah. and we all like, you know, we were all friends. We were like, you know, people who were always out at shows in the Bay Area at the time. Yeah. And one last thing that I wanted to mention just on that Brighton show. So I went along with my my older brother who at the time, uh, he's probably going to hate me for telling this, but I don't care, yeah, had, had a couple of beverages to, to say the least. And obviously was already blown away by you guys. But then obviously Punch comes on and he did, I don't think at the time he realised Val was the drummer in both. And like... <laughs> sort of twigged about two songs into Punch's set that it was like, that dude is still going. And I remember vividly after Punch finished him being like a proper fanboy going up to Val and was like, how did you do that? How did you do two sets? <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought it was really funny. That's great. Yeah. We, there was one time where uh, I booked this show like at, at the time I was living in this house in in West Oakland that we would have shows in the basement and I booked this show that was called Val Fest and it was just all of Val's <laughs> nice. bands and yeah it was like punch and I think it was because it was like Loma Prieta was about to do this Europe tour and uh, our friend Josh Staples was going to play bass for us and we'd never played mm. a show with them so we were like we need to like play a show before we go on this tour, like just to see that, you know, like, like hopefully this works. So, yeah, yeah. so I was like, let's book a show, like, you know, this week at my house. And then it was like, who's going to play? And I'm like, well, Val's already going to be there. Like we could get all of his bands to play. So I feel like it was a, <laughs> might've been a four band show and Val played drums in every band. Oh, fucking hell. That's impressive. <laughs> um so then like in terms of where kind of loma went obviously i think like the next obvious stopping point was signing to to death wish and i don't know whether i've seen in a couple of different interviews that you've kind of said that the sound change wasn't a a conscious choice but obviously a lot of people pointed out that with the signing to death wish that the stuff with loma got heavier mm -hmm. and i remember at the time like a lot of like quote unquote like screamo purists were a bit like, oh, this isn't the loan where I fell in love with and stuff like this. But <laughs> because you're signing with Deathwish, you're getting more eyes on you. So was it a weird kind of like conflict with yourself? Like, no, this is just the music we're writing now. It just tends to be heavier. Like, and, and it wasn't a correlation that you were signing with Deathwish, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, really. It wasn't, it was actually, it was like, um, you know, we recorded our first two LPs, 
like uh, Last City and Dark Mountain and Derek Chow was the second guitar player at the time. Um, and then in like 2009, pretty shortly after Dark Mountain came out, he quit the band and, mm. um, and it was interesting because it was like, I think we just sort of didn't know what we were going to do. And probably for the first time since the band had started, like, I feel like we didn't even get together and play for like two or three months. And then I talked to Brian and was sort of like, Hey man, like, let's try and go in the studio and like, see if we can even play any of our songs as a three piece, like, and then kind of like without Derek there, Brian and I just started immediately like coming up with new ideas as mm. basically as a three piece. And they were just really heavy. And I think we also had been in this thing where it was like, we kind of wrote dark mountain, particularly like in a vacuum and like, you know, we weren't playing shows at all. We spent like a year just like writing the most complex possible shit we could write. And when we actually went and started trying to play those songs live, we were like, dude, this is so not fun to play live. Like these songs <laughs> yeah. are so challenging to play. And like, it doesn't seem fun for the audience. And like, it just didn't feel um, almost possible to play a lot of the songs. And I think we were just kind of like, man, like, I think, yeah, it was, it was funny. So basically we, uh, we wrote lifeless, which, you know, was self-released also and came out in mm. 2010. And that was really like the massive shift I thought for the band was that we started writing these songs that were really immediate and like really forward. And I think, um, just were really dark and angry and meant to be like totally emotive and music to be played live. I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then basically we put that record out. We did a pretty good amount of touring, a lot of it as a three piece. And then, um, and then we wrote IV and recorded it. And it was fully like, we didn't, you know, we just always put records out ourselves. Basically it was like Val had a record label that either fully put our records out or sometimes he would partner with other labels like in Europe or yeah. something to put them out. <clears throat> So we fully had this record and it was recorded and it was just chilling. And um, I think that it was like Val somehow had befriended Trey from Death Wish, probably through Punch, I think. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it was like, cause Trey's just like a hardcore dude from Boston that's always in the mix. And so somehow it was like Trey asked Val like, hey man, like, what are you, what are you working on? Cause Val was playing in like six bands at the time or something. <laughs> yeah. And Val was like, oh, I'm in these bands and these bands. And Trey heard IV and was like, yo, like, let me put this out. And Val was That's like, cool. he's like, you, you know, it just, it seemed weird to all of us. Cause we were kind of like, obviously we all grew up on Converge and, um, mm. you know, there were a ton of records that came out on Death Wish that were like really important to us. But I think that we all just considered ourselves to be a world apart from that you know what i mean yeah but then death wish kind of like really started you know shifting into like uh you know putting out a lot more like a really emotive not mosh kind of hardcore stuff mm. so it was a cool fit but it was funny because you know we put that record out with death wish and then because we'd always just been off in this little like diy corner so like I dude every time we'd play a show people would come up and and talk to us and be like 
shocked when they found out that we had more LPs from before that. Like everyone <laughs> thought we were like this brand new band. And I was like, damn, dude, like, I guess maybe we should have been on a label this whole time. I don't know. You know, it's funny because I was like, oh, here we are like seven years in or something. And people like think that, you know, that ID is like our demo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Because I think it was quite interesting. So I remember like at the time when, when IV got announced, obviously, as I said, like I was a fan of, of so like since Last City. So I was like super stoked that you were obviously kind of, getting on a bigger label and getting a sort of a, a bigger push but it it was a bit kind of like at the time obviously Deathwish were going through this shift but it was a bit of kind of like oh that's a that's an interesting sort of move but obviously it's kind of paid dividends in the in the long run yeah it was interesting and I think it was cool that <clears throat> you know it was funny it was like that that tour that we did with Birds and Row that you were talking about in I think it was 2011 right and hmm. Birds and Row were like just friends of friends. And, you know, it was kind of like, like I was saying, there was sort of a drought of this kind of music. Um, yeah. I guess there were a lot of bands in Germany that were doing the same kind of stuff as Loma, but for whatever reason, Birds and Row were the first band that we really sort of like felt like we were sort of in the same place as, and we were, it was just like we had friends who, you know, would come visit Oakland from Paris and were like, always hyping birds and row up and they like put us directly in touch and we talked to bart and he was like let's do this tour together mm. we did that tour and then it was kind of like right at that time i think i don't know how death wish started talking to them but that was like right like we were all kind of in the same position where we were like oh, yeah we're yeah have records come out on death wish how weird is that like i think we were all just like how funny is it that we're in these like emo bands and we're both putting out these records with death wish and we're doing this like little like DIY self-booked tour in Europe right now, but it's like going really well. It just felt like there was something kind of happening mm. and it was a good feeling because I don't think that we'd um, <clears throat> felt like there were a lot of bands that we were sort of like in the same place as, or making similar music to um, like until around that time. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of off the back of sort of IV, obviously you did sort of various touring and stuff. And like up until that point, you've been a band that had toured pretty consistently, mm -hmm. but like of, of late <laughs> and like more kind of recent years, and I don't mean this in any way to be disparaging, but it kind of seems like the foot's been taken off the gas a little bit with Loma. So mm -hmm. was was that a conscious choice because like you'd done so much in the past that you wanted to kind of like slow things down again or was it just because of like life circumstances that that's what's kind of dictated how things have gone with the band now yeah i think it i mean there is like a few levels to it but i do think that there was a level of um <clears throat> like we were all sacrificing so much of just having a normal life and yeah you know when we were really i think we spent you know three or four years where it was really like the band was our job but it was like became a very stressful job and like became you know it was always the worst paying job you could ever have you know what i mean and like that's the <laughs> yeah. whole that's the whole goal and like i never have had like any intention of, you know, making money playing punk music. Like there's just every way of making money is a better way than playing in a band. You know what I mean? Especially mm. 
<laughs> especially this kind of band and especially the way that we do it where we're like we're just like totally bad at business and we've <laughs> i think that we're kind of assholes and like you know even when people have offered <laughs> we've like always kind of maintained being a diy band when you know when um people have offered to manage us or book our band we invariably for whatever reason like say no and like burn that bridge and it's like you know we just never set ourselves up to really make money playing music so yeah it just was sort of at this point where when we were touring all the time we were you know it was like some people in the band were like literally homeless and living in the van some people in the band like myself were like i was like sharing a bedroom with two other grown adults because why pay rent on a full bedroom when you're only home like two months a year you know so, yeah yeah <clears throat> it kind of got to this point where, you know, all that was going on. It was really hard to have a normal life. And yeah, I mean, there's also just this aspect to it, which I had never realized growing up, which is like, when you're on tour all the time, you kind of lose touch with the whole like creative aspect of making music. Like you're pretty much mm. spending your days preparing to like perform for an audience. And then you perform for an audience for 40 minutes or whatever. And then you just do the whole thing over again. And I started kind of feeling like anytime I was working on music, it was super under the gun. Like it was like a time crunch before the next flight or whatever, you know? Right. Yeah, or like yeah, yeah. you're sitting backstage playing, but it's totally different than being at home working on music. And, you know, for me, it's kind of like I just come to realize like what I like most of, you know, I like everything about being in a band and playing music but what i like most is like writing music the creative side of things and i really like recording records and so mm. um yeah i mean that's a long answer and you know there's a lot to it i guess like we kind of there was never a discussion where we were like let's tour less it just sort of yeah ended up that we weren't touring as much and it felt like man i have been enjoying the band a lot more since we've been touring less <laughs> and like, i feel like we all get along better and and i mean there's an aspect to it too where like two two of four of us were like living on the east coast so it just became like if we're gonna do anything it's got to be a tour you know you can't do anything small you have to block out yeah. a couple weeks and then it's like how do you know four people in their mid-30s get two weeks free to like you know, at the same time to do anything. So yeah, yeah, part of an act of God, like it was like when, you know, we talked to Jerome's dream about them reuniting and playing shows. And we're like, Oh, well, for that, we can, you know, yeah, we'll fly out and figure this shit out if it's to play with Jerome's dream. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's just like playing in the, you know, the squat full of dog shit again, like that could wait, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. But like in, in those times of like, kind of, touring less and playing less sort of thing does that kind of make it a bit more special in in some aspects because again like from my personal experience the last time i saw you was when you came over and did fluff fest in um the czech republic mm -hmm. and like so my group of friends one in particular he fucking like loves you guys and it was sort of like a huge kind of thing because at that point i don't think you'd been to the uk for maybe four years oh wow or something okay. like that yeah so like it, it'd been a big gap since like the opportunity to see you sort of thing right so so i don't know was that kind of a reciprocated feeling within the band that like it now felt special to kind of 
go out on tours and do these like one-off festivals that it you kind of had a bit more of like like energy to it because it wasn't like your day job your consistent sort of thing yeah i think there's definitely that feeling generally in the band like it's funny you know with with fluff fest i feel like we've played maybe three times or possibly Mm. more i can't remember but um it's funny going and like playing the same festival and being in sort of like a different uh in a different headspace about it because you know it's (laughs) sort of like i'm like man the stage is in the same place like the you know amount of people that are here is the same amount of people and yet like it sure feels different when you haven't been on tour for like eight straight months leading into it like yeah the um I mean, there's, there is something to be said for being a band that uh, has been on tour for eight months because you're totally tight and you're too tired to be anxious about anything. And like, you know everything that's going to happen during the set. Like, you know, like, like there's no, uh, there's no variables. So I do remember mm. that last time we played Fluff Fest, I was like, fuck, man, I think I'm nervous. Like, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a kid. And it was also like, we booked that tour and um I don't feel like we played a show as you know like I'd played shows in bands that I'm in here like locally and stuff but I don't think Loma Mm. had played a show in maybe you know a year or something so we're like yeah all right man let's just go out on stage in front of thousands of people and hope we know what we're doing you know what I mean like we practiced a bunch but it's definitely a different feeling to go play a festival like that when you're really fresh and you know not like you haven't been on tour for a long time. I don't know, mm. you know, there's there's good and bad to both of it. And like, I kind of hope that we, I you know, I would like for us to get to a spot where we um, tour more than we have been. You know what I mean? I think we all want mm. to, it's just sort of like, it has to happen at the right time. And, you know, yeah. like I will say we, you know, unfortunately the timing with our, our last LP self-portrait, it sort of like kept, the release date kept getting pushed back. And so it was like, we basically booked this crazy, like full year of touring. And that record came out sort of the last like week of it or something. Right. So that yeah, was yeah. kind of something where I think people were like, Oh man, like you guys never tour. And we're like, well, shit, man, we just did like two full U S tours <laughs> and a Europe yeah. tour, but it was right before our LP came out. You know what I mean? Which is like, then, you know, there's sort of a disconnect there and that's just the way that worked out and then because of you know other circumstances and life stuff for everyone we just basically were like yeah we do two weeks a year here or there like stuff that's yeah yeah. and you know maybe that's good though because i think that we're a band that when we were really at the height of all the sort of touring mania and doing it really full-time i think you know we would like joke about it but i think we were kind of serious where you're like man how how do i fucking get out of this like mm. I'm, I'm so tired of this shit like i fucking hate you guys you know what i mean <laughs> like i love you guys <laughs> and if anyone fucks with you like i'll fuck with them but like don't fucking look at me or talk to me you know what i mean and <laughs> yeah. and and it's nice to be i guess to not feel that way at all like i'm just like this is totally fun i really like being in this band you know like mm. i don't know it's you we had to, you have to find um, what's going to work for you. You know what I mean? There's a lot of personality, yeah. a lot of, everyone's got a life to live and, and all that stuff. But um, yeah. 
And just before we move on to kind of like the the more kind of recent projects, the one other thing I wanted to touch on with with Loma specifically, as you mentioned, like when you were kind of like starting off as a band, and even like those times that, as you mentioned, that tour with with Birds in Row, there weren't really many bands that were kind of doing that style of music. But as I mentioned, like now that specifically I know in Europe, there's a lot of kind of bands that emulate that kind of like early screamo sound like orchid and that kind of thing uh-huh. but there there's also like a wave of bands that cite loma as an inspiration so is that a weird thing for you like that you're still an active band and like still okay maybe not touring as much but you're still putting out music that people are emulating a sound that you play that like m- maybe necessarily wasn't the quote-unquote Vogue thing when you started it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's always weird when, you know, <laughs> when someone wants to sound like your band, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, I mean, I only have like positive feelings about it, I guess, you know, I think that's mm. that's cool. Like, I want to be part of the continuum of, um, you know, whatever this is. Like, I think that everyone that's playing this kind of music is doing it, you know, for, for the right reasons, basically. Right. Like there's no paycheck waiting for you at the end of the <laughs> yeah. day. And like, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a trip, you know, it's definitely like, I guess it, it, it only makes sense. Right. Like if you're a band for a long time, you take it seriously and have some sort of following, there are going to be people that, you know, are influenced by your music and, you know, I'm like, I'm thankful to the ones that came before me. Right. Like, Mm. and I grew up wanting to sound like, uh, you know, gravity records bands. And I grew up wanting to sound like shop maker and all the like Canadian, you know, post-hardcore stuff. And like, I'm sure that all of those people feel the same way I do where they're like, what the fuck? Like you want to sound like what I, (laughs) like what I was making when I was 25 um yeah it's interesting but but the thing is that's also funny for me is like <clears throat> every time someone's like dude you got to check this band out man they sound they're like jacking your shit man they sound exactly like you guys i'm always like yeah i don't hear it man like, <laughs> i'm like yeah, i don't really think they sound like us that's like i don't know what it is about you know i don't know what the um recipe is to sound like us but we're a weird sounding band. And I think we just kind of like, you know, don't, uh, you know, I'm like, it might just be like user error. The reason that we sound the way we do or something like, I don't know. You know, I think most bands are like too musically proficient to sound like us or something, but yeah, I'm not, (laughs) I have yet to be like, Oh damn, dude, that band like really bit our style. Like, I just don't think anyone is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's fair enough. Yeah. But I would, you know, I would love to hear that. I want someone to. I want to, I want someone to figure out how we sound the way we do and explain it to me. It's pretty accidental. Fair enough. So then, into as I mentioned, like I want to kind of touch upon some of the the newer projects that you're kind of part of, and I think the one we'll get onto Stormlight in in a moment, but the one that really kind of stands out to me is L, and I think like straight, it's weird, like so. I think my brother put me onto it. I think he mentioned obviously that you were part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason, like I, I touched upon it, is because even though that band's existed for such a short time, 
you've done quite a lot of is it three records now yeah yeah three records so so i don't know like with that band is it just a case of like stuff seems to come really quickly and flow really easily like why do you feel that there's such a quick output with that band i guess it's i mean the thing with that band is it's basically the like continuation of bonavir um mm. in many ways even though i think we sound really different <clears throat> and we i think intended to sound really different but basically what happened with bonavir was like we were really really active um you know for like three years and at the time john the bass player and i were living in a house together in oakland that had you know like a practice space in the basement that we would have shows at and a screen printing setup and all this stuff we had our own like sort of self-sufficient little world there yeah then um john ended up getting married and moving to seattle and then later to france um and that was kind of when bonavira like stopped you know doing anything because we were no longer all living in the same place but the drummer chris and trey the other guitar player and singer um they were both still in oakland <clears throat> so you know it's kind of funny it was like bonavira was doing so much for those three years and then john moved away and i think the other three of us kind of like didn't really even talk about playing music for like a year or two mm. then it was kind of like trey and chris started working on stuff just the two of them just for fun and pretty shortly thereafter got in touch with me and then it was like you know chris had been playing in this other band called yearbooks with brian cullen so mm. it was kind of like you know three of the four members of bonavir and then brian cullen like got together and it just kind of like stuff came together really quick but i think the discussion immediately was like I want to do something that's not um, like, I think, you know, our, our first EP, I think it, we had a real idea of what we wanted to do. And it was very like jangly and open and like not overproduced um, and not, and like totally punk, but not hardcore at all. Yeah. And I think that was sort of the, the initial goal. And it sort of morphed because it's funny. I, I feel, um, like our most recent LP, things like shifted and got super dark and, and there's definitely like a hardcore aspect to it. And I'm like, mm. it's just sort of what came naturally. But basically to answer your question, it's like, yeah, I think that Trey writes the majority of the, um, the sort of sketches of the songs. Like Trey comes up with at least a lot of riffs and he's just like a machine with that stuff. And right. so it's kind of like, there's never been anything that feels even remotely like writer's block. It's just like, how do we, you know, how do we have a practice long enough to like figure out all these ideas right now? Because they're all, they <laughs> yeah. all sound good to me. And like, there's just a really good like flow with that band. And it's interesting mm. because, you know, our drummer, Chris, um, had, uh, you know, he met this woman here who was here studying, who was from Norway, and they ended up, you know, getting married and, and he moved to Oslo. So Chris moved to Norway and is still like our drummer. But then when we recorded our last record, we had Taylor from Nuva Laskira play drums on it because Chris is living in Norway, had like a new job, is like, you know, his life is totally changing. So it's funny because it's like L has two drummers now. We have a European okay. drummer and an American drummer. <laughs> and they're like you know like two of the best drummers i know and i'm just like damn yeah, how yeah. we end up with 
I guess you're right. It's like I keep ending up with these great drummers <laughs> in my life, and now there's two in one band. It's, it's fucked up, man. It's greedy. And going kind of like on a, a label relationship, the only reason I, I pick on this is because they're a good friend of mine, but obviously the... Um, I think the two of the records you put out with Dog Nights. So yeah. how did the relationship with Dog Nights come about? I think that Darren put out, if I recall correctly, and I hope I'm not wrong about this, but I think that Darren was like one of a few labels that put out one of Bonavir's seven inches. Right. And it might've been one of his very early releases. And so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that was 10 years ago, basically. Mm close to maybe it was 2011 or something i can't i'm trying to remember i think it might have been the like adobe home split or something i i yes Bonavir yeah, put yeah, out yeah. So much stuff but i seem to recall that that was it because i remember that i screen printed the covers for that record and i remember having to like get a logo from darren and i think his label was so new it like didn't even maybe even have a logo yet <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so um yeah since then and i and darren puts out so much stuff and is such a like you know, integral person to uh, this type of music, like furthering mm. this type of music. Like I just am, I'm like, damn, like, how does he do it? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that like he, some of the bands he finds as well, I'm just like, how, like a lot of like the like Japanese bands and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, how have you found this? <laughs> I know. I know. He's so, uh, he's so like invested but yeah yeah super cool working with him and he's so like just easygoing and you know the few times that we've talked i'm like i feel like i'm trying to remember i know i saw him in the last loma prieta tour over there and yeah he's just such a cool dude he's just such a, mm. like a chill sweet guy yeah yeah so just in terms of like i guess sort of future plans with without obviously you say you've now kind of got and, and stuff like that so like what's the kind of next step with with that band is it just kind of going back to what you were saying earlier like discovering like you you'll get enjoyment kind of out of like the recording process more than necessarily being constantly on the road right is that something that like this project can now be because you've kind of got the the aspect of having two drummers and yeah. sort of things like that so yeah. have you kind of like thought of where where this can go you know it's interesting it's like everyone in that band is kind of like bounded by life stuff so it's you know we're definitely never going to be a band that is attempting to like be on the road full-time or anything mm. like trey has you know two daughters um and is you know like just the kind of person that has a ton of stuff going on he's like you know, training for a marathon. He like works a ton. He, you know, is like, has a very full life. So it's like, yeah, L is something where it's like, oh, we'll do a week here and there. And I think that we had a couple things planned in 2020 that were going to be pretty awesome, which obviously didn't happen. And, you know, we're just kind of like, well, when, you know, hopefully the, like, you know, we were supposed to play, I think a couple festivals and it's like, hopefully those get hopefully those things still exist whenever the world <laughs> yeah. is having shows again and l can play them but you know in the meantime it's like our bass player brian moved to la um taylor's in la so you know it's kind of like trey and i get together and work on stuff with just guitars and and you know try and keep the best of it and we had 
it was kind of like before the pandemic hit, we had several new songs. So mm. I don't know, you know, the pandemic hit and it's kind of like, it's funny how it affects different bands differently. Like, like uh, in, there was like a period during the pandemic here in California where things were feeling fairly safe. And, uh, you know, myself, Brian and Val from Loma were all getting tested for COVID through work. And so we felt mm. it was safe to like keep practicing. Um, so we were working on music, but then like all the other bands I'm in are kind of like, yeah, we, you know, it, it it's kind of like, it feels risky to be in a room with people yeah. right now. And so, um, and, and as for like right now, yeah, things are not looking good out here. So, you know, I'm not mm. seeing anyone, but <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Elle's kind of been, uh, keeping it low key. And I think that it's more like, you know. I know that Trey's just at home, like stockpiling, like beautiful riffs. So mm. I'm excited to get back to cool. it one day. Yeah. Cool. And um, before I kind of touch upon Stormlight, I just wanted to kind of see, touch upon like the other kind of aspect of, of your life. That I know that you are sort of like, it's a big part of it. And part of your work is obviously like design and graphic design. And, and you mentioned obviously kind of the screen printing sort of side of things. So where did the kind of like interest in kind of like the artistic kind of side of things come into it and like do you feel like the more you've done it like you've kind of honed a specific style or are you still constantly kind of learning with that sort of thing um well so i you know it started i mean way back i think it's sort of all concurrent with starting to play music i was always mm. interested in in visual art and um you know it's like a kind of was raised even like my mom is a painting teacher and you know I was raised right, in okay. art um <clears throat> and then when I went to um it was funny it was like when I went to college you know I I wanted to do something practical because you know I don't I don't come from a family background where there's any you know <laughs> resources or anything right um, and so I was going to the junior college kind of up in the north bay and I'd always wanted kind of to go to art school, but it just seemed totally impractical. There's one art school in San Francisco called uh, San Francisco Art Institute, which is mm. a very small fine art school. And, you know, by the time I was in college, it was pretty expensive to go there. And so it was kind of off the table, but my mom had gone there and her dad had gone there. So it was like generations of my family had gone to this school. And one day I saw this flyer in the, in the hallway outside of the photo lab that was like a you could apply for a scholarship to that school. Oh, okay. And I applied and I like got this scholarship and I was like, dude, it would be cheaper for me to go to art school than to go to like public state school. So I mm. like have to do it. And so that was sort of like, I mean, I think that was sort of that um, pushed me in that direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I ended up getting a photography degree. And while I was there, I was doing, you know, pretty rudimentary like design work for my bands, for friends' bands. And, um, you know, when I got out of school, it's basically like I, you know, I've always worked sort of in like the production art, graphic arts kind of realm. You know, I do a lot of, mm. I mean, I basically now do uh, work for commercial photo shoots and, um, you know, post-production work for that. And it's nothing glamorous, but it does kind of feed into all of that. Like, I feel very technically proficient with, you know, yeah. the Adobe Creative Suite. So it's like, I'm always taking pictures and it's just like what I like doing like I'm just always like generating imagery and so when friends reach out and they want something designed I'm like 
I got something that I think fits that mood. You know what I mean? And just mm. kind of like into that, uh, you know, all that visual language. But I do think like, I kind of like how I am with music. I'm like, dude, I sort of have a very like narrow focus on what I do. And I'm not yeah. very good. Like people will be like, hey man, I, I want to do a, uh, like a book layout or something. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm like, I can't do corporate websites. All I can do is like, you know, dark emotive uh, punk LP layouts. <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing that looks That's right. Yeah, it's just where my head's at. I don't know. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so yeah, obviously, like, one of the, the more recent projects is, as you mentioned, sort of Stormlight, even though it's a project that you kind of started a few years ago. Obviously, mm -hmm. we as listeners didn't really kind of hear the debut stuff until last year. Right. So in terms of like that, obviously, with it just being you and Eric kind of thing, was there what was the intentionality of, of, of that band? Like, was it just a, a, an idea for you two to get together? Like, obviously, taking away the pandemic did you was it the idea of it being a band that would go out and play shows because obviously eric's busy with lord snow and stuff as well so like what was the intentionality with the band um basically it was like i met eric when he was living in chicago um years ago you know like maybe i think the first time that loma prieta ever played in chicago was with uh with latrec i think who was his band mm. back then maybe 2008 right something like that. And, um, and we like immediately became friends. Like uh, Eric's just a cool dude. And, and he was part of this really thriving, um, scene. That was one of the few places where, you know, early on for us, when we would play in Chicago, the shows were always amazing. There were always great bands. Eric was usually in them, you know, what I mean? like, <laughs> yeah. so, um, and then like, you know, that, it was like Latrec kind of dissolved. Then he started playing in Suffix. Bonavir did a split with Suffix and played several shows with them, like when they would come out to the Bay or vice versa. And then Lord Snow started and they also were amazing. And, you know, our, I consider them really good friends. And, um, but it was funny. It was like Eric and I, I think even before Lord's, Lord Snow started, we would sort of joke when we'd see each other, like, yo, man, we should jam, except you know, you live in Chicago and I live in San Francisco, <laughs> Yeah. but <clears throat> like, I was straight up, like, I'll come to Chicago. Let's like play music. And it just never really happened. And then one day I got, you know, a text and he was like, Hey, I just moved to Santa Cruz. Like I'm, I'm close. You want to like get coffee or maybe play music. And I was like, dude, I got a studio. Like you gotta <laughs> come, come down this Friday. Like let's play. And it just like went better than I ever thought it could have. Like I immediately was like, this shit sounds good to me. Like, I don't know. I don't know if this is any good, but this sounds good to me. Mm. So we kind of just got in a routine, like right away. Like he was living at the time in Santa Cruz, which is like an hour and a half from San Francisco. And he would drive up like every Friday and I would, you know, go straight from work and we would play music from like five 30 until you know one or two in the morning like we would have these crazy oh, wow. marathon practices and we were just like yeah we were just like slaying it i felt like for a year and a half or two years and you know after a little while we decided we'd go demo some stuff with jack shirley and then like it sounded really good we were like man i think this is like this is a keeper but you know it was like four songs or something so we just kept mm. writing and revising and re-recording and 
with no real like agenda you know what i mean like i don't think that um we were thinking anything except like this sounds really good let's keep doing this i'm really enjoying like having this thing i do every friday night you know what i mean like, yeah it's just that simple and we had other people kind of come and go like we had like two different people come play bass both of whom sort of like for whatever reason had other stuff going on and um just sort of like you know didn't didn't keep coming back i guess so we were just sort of like <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't matter like it sounds great with just the two of us let's keep going mm. and then we had like another friend who was going to sing got pretty far into it had like vocals for a couple songs and then like sort of same thing he fell off kind of and then he moved away <clears throat> so once again i was burdened with having to sing in my own fucking band <laughs> yeah. and and i gotta say i'm super enjoying it and we kind of once we were done tracking the record pre-pandemic um we started playing with our buddy tom playing bass and so we actually mm. like fully i felt like we were like pretty much show ready and then Eric got a job out of state and moved and then the pandemic hit. So now we're kind of right. in this spot where we're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to play some shows in 2025 or whenever we can. <laughs> That's fair enough. But just in terms of like, you mentioned, obviously you had people come in and sort of play with bass, but it didn't sort of ultimately work out mm -hmm. in terms of the recording. And obviously like, Previously, where you've been in bands, it's always been sort of maybe you and another person, either on guitar or bass or whatever. But obviously with Stormlight, it's you who's doing the string in instrumentation is, I guess, the best way to put it, because obviously mm -hmm. Eric's doing the drums. Right. So was that an interesting challenge for you to kind of put multiple hats on and kind of play around with those sounds? Um, it was really fun. Like... So the thing is, like, I've definitely, I can't even point to specific songs or bands, but like, I know that I've been in situations before where there's like a song where, for whatever reason, you know, no one else knows the song very well or something. And like, mm. I end up playing all the, you know, everything except drums, basically. <laughs> um, or for, or just it'll be like a part, you know, where you're like, right, let yeah, me yeah. punch that bass part. Like, I think I have something cool here. You know what I mean? Because I think that and and vice versa like there are probably songs in bands that i'm in where like i didn't play guitar on part of a song or something because someone else was like no i think it should go like this or whatever mm. so it's not something that i haven't done but it was interesting to have it be a whole record and to have it be um like to have no one else to like approve it by i guess like eric was just yeah. sort of like go wild and it was kind of funny because I was in there recording with Jack Shirley and um, Jack is really good about like Jack is an engineer that doesn't have any interest in being a producer, I guess. And, and right. you know, he like, it's funny, like he stays totally clear of even giving you um, positive or negative vibes about what you're working on. And so okay. it's funny because <clears throat> because we've become really good friends over the years, you know, it's like our bands used to tour together and then, you know, I've made a, a lot of records with Jack and, um, and he's amazing. And he like, it's, it's like outside of the studio when something's done, he'll be like, 
damn dude like that song fucking slaps like that shit sounds crazy <laughs> dude that is like that's a wild ass track but then like in the studio he never like lets on and so it was kind of funny because i was like i think for some of that there were a couple days there where i was in tracking eric wasn't there so it's just me and jack and like you know i basically played one guitar part with eric but like takes on a totally different life once you've filled everything out with bass and multiple other guitars and all these overdubs and so i'm kind of like all right jack like you need to tell me right now if this sounds fucking shitty or what you know what i mean mm. like I, I need you to take a tell, tell me the truth man am i blowing it is this bad <laughs> you know like trying to trying to get him to break his own rules and so it was cool it was like fun to uh i mean there's something there's definitely something to it's unnatural for sure, but there is definitely something to uh, tracking all the string instruments yourself because you have the mm. exact same timing as yourself. And there's something yeah, pretty oh, yeah, locked, I didn't think of that. You know? there's, something that, there's something that happens there where like, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. It's like music is all about feel and feel is all about these uh, like nanoseconds of things like something can be in time but be like a little bit slid into or it can be a little anxious and you can be like mm. probably if you could zoom in close enough you'd be a little ahead of the beat and like these types of things that we all have these tendencies and so it's like interesting when you're <laughs> you know you have the same exact tendencies as yourself so i've kind of <laughs> when yeah. it was like i was finding that it was really fluid to record everything by myself on that mm. record. And it's kind of crazy because Eric's beats are so fucking wild. It's like hard. Definitely. It was hard to go back and, you know, he recorded the drum takes live and then I like went back and overdubbed everything later. And so there's right, no one okay. to watch. And yet I was kind of like, we're not having to do a lot of editing or scooting around because I'm at least like totally in time with myself here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like whatever, whatever bad habits I have, I had them on bass too. And, you know, <laughs> so I it, guess that's a cool realization then to yeah, sort of figure that out. It is. I mean, at the same time, you know, I'm curious if the next time we record a record, if we actually have three or four or five people in the band, if it, you know, how, yeah, that, yeah. how that will work out, because I would like to build that band out into something. Um, it's just like, I feel like we know a lot of people who are really talented musicians and there's been some people who I would love to play music with who've offered to fill those roles. So mm. that's exciting. Like I'm, you know, I'm pumped, but you know, and now it's like Eric lives in Ohio and is fully, he just had a kid and bought a house out there and stuff. So it's fully like, I think we're going to be like an Ohio centric band. That's cool. <laughs> Even though I live in California, I'm going to fly out there <laughs> as soon as I feel like that's safe and we're going to get to work. Yeah. Yeah. And just before, like, I kind of wrap things up, obviously you mentioned, like, with Stormlight, it kind of started as, like, this kind of Friday night routine thing that you and Eric kind of got into. And obviously once the record kind of came out, there was a lot of people that were sort of, like, really vibing with it, really digging with it. I think it ended on quite a few people's sort of, like, albums of the year lists and, mm -hmm. like, got sort of media coverage and things like that. So, like, I don't know... Were you, because as you said, like it was, it's an album that you're really proud of, but were you kind of expecting the reception it did get, or has it kind of been like way beyond anything that you imagined? I honestly, uh, I, I don't think I like knew 
that <laughs> that it was on people's <laughs> album of the year list or anything until you just said it. Like oh. it's funny. Like I have no uh, real perception of how it's perceived, but I think I did right. know. I think I did know that people that like Eric's bands and people that like my bands should probably like this, but yeah, but music is so weird, right? Like everything is just about timing and about um, just sort of, you know, like being in the right place at the right time. Like it's all, it's all strange. So in my mind, I was like, well, I know I'm biased, but I think this is like very good for this genre. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I was like, I think this is like, I think these are cool songs. Like, I put everything I had into them and I'm proud of them. And I know Eric the same, you know what I mean? Like, I think that we both were really excited when we were working on this and, and part, partly it's like, I think that Eric is so talented that if like when he was excited and I was excited, I'm like, this isn't just my ego or something like this shit is good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. so, so it's kind of more like, okay, well, will this record find itself in front of people? Like, I hope so. Like, I don't really have any, I'm the worst at that shit. Like, as far as bands go, like, the only reason that anything has really gotten done in any of my bands is because there's been other people who are good at that stuff. Like, right, I'm okay. pretty much, I'm not good at self-promotion and I'm not, <laughs> dude, I don't know. I'm an introvert. Like, I don't um, pursue, you know, avenues for my band. So, you know, I hope that, I hope that people are liking that Stormlight record. I think it's good. I want it to, I want, you know, Zegama Beach to make their money back because they spent money <laughs> pressing it. And Dave at Zegama Beach and, you know, the two Daves at that label are, uh, you know, just doing a phenomenal job, like keeping this genre, like moving forward. So it's, you know, mm. I was just kind of like, I reached out to, well, initially I think that Dave got in touch maybe with, Eric first or something happened where he found out we had a band and offered to put the record out without having heard it and knowing that oh, we wow. never played a show. And I was kind of like, when we started talking about it, I was almost like apologetic. I was like, dude, <laughs> are you, are you sure, man? Like what? Okay. What do I need to do on my end to make this worth your while? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Do, like I can't like guarantee, like I want to play shows. I have no idea what's going to happen. How's this going to go? But it seems like it's going good. Like he's already saying that, it, you know, he has to repress. So it's like, it's going, That's cool. it's going well. That's cool. Yeah. Well, well, Sean, before I let you go, obviously I've got to ask the selfish question of what's kind of happening with Loma at the moment. You mentioned, obviously you guys had the opportunity to kind of practice and sort of write some stuff. So are we likely to hear new Loma stuff in the future? Like what's, what's going on with that at the moment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like for two or three years, it's like we would get together, work on new material, demo stuff. Um, and I think that we're just all in this headspace where there's no rush. And so, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, we're kind of just like, we don't have some tour booked that we need to get this record out for. So like, let's just yeah. keep working on stuff until we feel like it's complete but it is funny because i do think that we straight up have like three lps worth of shit chilling and i think we're kind of <laughs> like all right man we need to like it's like we just all need to like agree on what is good and 
you know, I think it's that simple. We just need to like figure out what is good. And like some of it is, you know, we've started recording some of it. So it's like, I don't know, man, we're just sort of like in this weird spot where, um, it's a really good place to be. I think, I think we're just all kind of like, we're, the next thing we put out is going to be something that we all feel like a hundred percent about. And yeah, I don't think it's going to be super long from like, you know, I can think of, I can think of at least 10 songs that we have that are, I think are great. So mm. one of these days, yeah, I swear we're going to put something out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the world's a, a tough place to put music out into right now, but um, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. And then, you know, hopefully we'll be able to make up you know, we had a bunch of pretty awesome stuff booked in 2020 that got canceled. So, mm. you know, hopefully we'll be over your way soon and we'll be, you know, playing locally for the first time in a long time soon. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. Cool. Sean, before I let you go, how I like to, to end things is to ask my guests what their favorite song is, but with a bit of a twist. Um, and we'll take Loma and L in isolation. So, What's your favorite Loma song and your favorite L song that you'd like to play live and why? Oh my God. That's a very <laughs> tough question. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite L song to play live is, uh, is Mockingbirds, which is on yeah. the first EP that we released. And uh, it's funny. There, there's something we like achieved in that song that it, it's sort of like, um, there's just like a part in the middle of the song where there's a break and like the song just like hits so fucking mm. hard but it hits in a way like uh for me it hits like how like a pop rap song hits like and <laughs> yeah. and i like and i like love uh like i love the production of like modern like pop rap stuff and so like that <laughs> i don't know that's the only way i can describe it is like when we play that song i'm always like all right man this we're, we're about to get to that part this is fucking <laughs> this shit's gonna hit right here um <laughs> So, you know, so there's that. And then, God, with Loma, I don't know. It's so physically painful to play anything. I don't know <laughs> what is. It's, it totally depends on the night. Um, like we're talking like what song is fun to play live? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, man. Uh, damn, dude. I might have to get back to you on that. There's, <laughs> it totally, it's so, it's so varied. There's songs I definitely don't like playing live, but that we play anyway. I know that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like on, I mean, I always love playing fly by night. So yeah. that's, that's like a guarantee. And I feel like we always play it because it's really fun. And like, there's a lot of like looseness in that song and same kind of thing. It's got these parts that like drop out and come back in super heavy, but there's also a ton of melody. And though we're a really noisy band live, I feel like that song generally has strong enough melodies to um, come across even in the worst stage sound conditions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is, um, you know, the constant battle trying to not sound like shit. <laughs> Perfect. Sean, thank you very much for your time. I've really, really appreciate it. Um, as I say, hopefully we'll see you over here in the UK a lot sooner rather than later. And I'm sure no doubt we'll see some new music from you in some shape or form soon as well. Most definitely. Thank, thanks a lot for uh, having me on. It's been a lot of fun. No, no worries. Take care. Yeah, you too. Cheers. Bye. Right, bye.
so there we have it folks again a huge thank you to sean for taking some time to have a little chat with me as always there'll be links to all the various social media platforms to find out what he's doing in all his various bands put in the description notes of this episode um i'm going to keep this outro fairly short and simple because this was quite a long one this week which don't mind me i fucking love um but we do have a kind of a special episode coming up in two weeks time which will go around with the charity sampler excuse me um that is all now finalized i'm just waiting on the artwork and as i mentioned before that will be coming out on april 1st but yeah that is it as always whether this is the first time you're listening to the show or the 185th time thank you very much for all your support love if you can rate, subscribe, review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, it really does help. I know you hear that probably from every single podcast you listen to, but there's a reason people say it. Uh, but yeah, that is it for another week. Thank you again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast, and I will see you soon.